All right, welcome back everybody to the second part of our three-part series, Klaus and Mars, talking about various topics. And Mars, you just want to summarize the last one before we talk a little bit more about crypto, blockchain, IG, and technology in general. Yeah, absolutely, because we have so many different subjects to cover, and we made a decision to split into three individual parts. Last time, we were talking about the climate change, but climate change is heavily connected with the blockchain technology. It's also heavily connected with the current state of the world. And in the previous episode, in part one, we were focusing on climate change. However, it's very difficult to summarize the entire discussion because it was packed with knowledge, with examples, with stories. And uh, if there was like a summary, I would say, just listen to the part one. However, if you are not interested in climate change at all, then you can stay with us to listen about the blockchain. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you. So I'll have a few points that I can summarize. We talked about, um, I think what I really liked, Mars, you had some great examples, like the pipeline going from Africa to the UK. You spoke about the Colorado River, um, water being um, yeah, taken away in large quantities in, in let's say, Northern America in, in the United States. And then the river is going to, um, let's say, Middle America, more like Mexico area, will have less water. Therefore, um, farmers don't have enough um, you have water to grow their plants and thus people migrate to countries where there's more water. So it's um, mass migration related to climate change. These are just a few, maybe a few points to briefly summarize our last episode. Very good. And today we'll talk about crypto technology. And I think you actually have quite a, quite a lot of experience, you even worked in the crypto industry. Can you just maybe give a brief summary as to your IT and relevant cryptocurrency knowledge and work experience, Mars? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have a background in computer science. Uh, I have a master's degree from Polish University. And uh, quick disclaimer, in Poland, there is a military service. So either you go to the university or you go to the army. And every single person I know has uh, a university degree. And my degree is actually good. It was the, you know, the most, uh, the, the highest bar, the highest level of difficulty, the most accomplishments, the, you know, half of my friends are Facebook or Google. So my degree is actually worth something. And I've been working for about 10 years in the IT industry. My last job was for a crypto exchange. If I was to summarize my crypto experience, I've been like watching the technology being on the sidelines, like seeing what's going on. And it is like an internet. I would say the internet in the early 90s was a novelty. There was, say, pornography, criminals. There were still unknowns how we are going to use the internet. And I would say that what is currently happening with the blockchain is many people are still not realizing all the implications of uh, what it brings. So I would say that the blockchain is the most important invention since the internet. Wow, okay, that's a quite a statement. The most important invention in, well, since the internet. 
So maybe I'll just briefly also um, summarize for the listener. So yes, Mars has a really, really good crypto knowledge. He has worked for multiple crypto um, companies. Like he just said, he worked for a crypto exchange. So he knows what he's talking about. He's a developer and I talked to him about like very advanced um, concepts where I just got really lost, but he's able to explain them. Um, he was able to explain them to me. So I can vouch for him that his knowledge of crypto is also going to the technical side. And I think a lot of people you see, it, they kind of know what it is. Like me, I kind of know what it is. I'm a bit of an IT guy, but I'm more of an IT project manager, business analyst, change management. So I'm usually, let's say, a level higher. But I know, Mars, you you go quite deep. So I just want to vouch for you and give you the, the background. OMG, <laughs> after such an introduction, now I need to deliver. Now I need to step yes. into this role. But you know what? Let's do it. Yeah. And you, <laughs> I was just going to say that it is it is not an easy role because some people are very deep in their own way of thinking. So if someone is very strict against this technology, there is no, there's no possibility to convert a, a Christian into a Judaism or a Muslim into Buddhism. Like if you are very religious about your way of thinking, there's no way to convince you. That's why an, an encouragement to keep your mind open, to start questioning what if, what if, because, hey, this is a very bold statement. The biggest invention since the internet, right? It's very we bold, see, yeah. Mm-hmm. We see how the internet changes every single industry. And um, yeah, when it comes to blockchain, I would like to address one of the biggest misconceptions first, which is energy use. This is one of these arguments that keeps popping up. And sometimes I'm just realizing that People are religious about it. They say, oh, the Bitcoin is using so much energy. And this, the same argument can be just twisted. You know, Christmas lights are using X amount of energy. The air conditioning is using X amount of energy. But people uh, tend to forget, and we were talking briefly in the previous episode about the climate change, that the energy use is intermittent. That you know, the energy is not used equally throughout the day, throughout the winter or summer season. And uh, what uh, Bitcoin and mining algorithm provides, it's proof of work, which of course is energy consuming, but it provides the constant demand for electricity. So if you are someone who is investing in a renewable, clean energy, which is actually the cheapest one, by partnering with some uh, Bitcoin farm, you have the constant demand for your product. Without the mining, without the proof of work, without this energy use, you who want to invest into clean energy infrastructure, you do not have demand. So this is amazing how this narrative changed from criminals, pornography, money laundering, every single but thinking the playbook, just like internet in the 90s, now the mainstream media perception is gradually shifting. And it's actually now what I keep hearing more and more is that the Bitcoin provides the incentives to scale up clean energy infrastructure. 
Interesting. I never heard that, to be honest with you. And I'm not as deep in the subject that you are, but I think the one thing I'm wondering a little bit, Mars, is that um, is it really a problem that people have right now if that the power grids are so unbalanced that you have so much consumption during the day and so much at night that it really needs crypto to solve that problem? I just not, as a layman, I just don't see the big need and the big relationship between those two factors, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I'm also not the energy grid engineer. Uh, however, I will link in the show notes about the recent situation in, in Kazakhstan. They shut down some of the mining technology. There were some grid instabilities. Honestly, on this deep technical level, I do not know all, all the details. However, what I, what I know for sure that Having the consistent demand for electricity is, is helpful. And there is one other super important point is that the second largest cryptocurrency by market, uh, Ethereum, is transitioning to the proof of stake, which means that there will be no mining required, no energy use, that it is switching to way more, like 99.9, you know, a couple of nines. And now, no more energy-intensive process. From now on, it will be just a, a regular laptop or that dedicated, you know, uh, home server. But this will be in like 30 or 40 watts, not the entire uh, data center. So... Ethereum is transitioning to proof of stake, which is a major groundbreaking event. And in terms of the uh, base load stability, Sorry, can you just explain what the to the audience what it means? They're transitioning to proof of stake. I'm not even sure. I'm hundred percent sure what that means. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> Thank you very much for this reminder. I'm sitting in this space quite deeply, and I'm realizing that not everyone went through this rabbit hole. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency and it's using proof of work, which means that the participants in the network are solving computationally expensive operations. They are just doing the work which consumes energy. This creates the consensus. With proof of stake, we are changing this model. Uh, well, what happens is that I provide 32 if as a collateral, this is my stake in the system. And if I'm acting honestly, I receive a, a small reward. Currently, it's about 5% uh, per year for being honest, genuine validator. However, if I start cheating, if I'm dishonest, if I'm fraudulent, then this 32 if deposit will be slashed. That's why everyone has the incentive to behave fairly. Without this 32 if deposit, you know, I'm like off the hook to do whatever I want. That's why this economic incentive needs to be in place to ensure that entire system is trustworthy. Got it. So what if what if all cheat? What if like I don't know, 80% get together and they say let's cheat and they can keep the 32 if and I don't do some transactions that are fraudulent. Isn't that possible? I think that's what people are worried about, right? That's a very, 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 very good question. And uh, there is, I would like to just step back a little bit to the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. 
And it's, I would say it's a work of art. You can say that music is the work of art, poetry is the work of art, poetry is the work of art, and the code is also the work of art. And Satoshi described in the white paper that even if the majority chooses to collude, to act dishonestly, to, you know, just change the rules of the system and be fraudulent, then they are undermining their own assets. So in this situation, when a majority decides to act fraudulently, they are left with pretty much worthless Ethereum. Because, hey, this whole system runs on, runs on trust, that we associate value with it. So then if the majority decides to be fraudulent, they are just undermining their, the foundation of the network, and that therefore the entire system becomes worthless. So I would say that it isn't rational to do it. Brilliant. Thanks for explaining. I think I get it because you're, you vested your stake in, you're building, maybe just from my point of view, you're building all the infrastructure, you're buying servers and hardware and software, and you hire 10 developers and then people to do Ethereum-specific code. So you, you invest not just 32 ETH, you invest a lot of hardware, your time, your effort, and then suddenly you cheat and maybe you make a couple of hundred thousand, but then all your investment, your business is basically bankrupt because you invested your business and in, we built your business on top of a fraudulent product. So you're losing all those millions in business investment in your time. And it's, it's really time consuming to start a business. So there's absolutely no rational incentive for anybody to do it. And then to get like the majority, like 80% of all people to add completely irrational and stupid and not make any money and undermine their own value just doesn't make any sense. It's not going to happen, right? It's, it's one in a million chance that this is going to happen. Absolutely. Your way of thinking is totally correct. If I may just add a few clarification points, you actually do not need to have 80% because 51% is, is sufficient. It's enough to have the majority of the network. So it is called 51% attacked. Uh, 80% is just uh, excessive. And in terms of Ethereum and proof of stake, uh, then you actually do not need to invest such a heavy resources because until now, you need to have the, I would say, a server farm, this entire mining infrastructure with loads of capital expenditure for buildings, for cooling, heating, security, uh, you know, all the physical infrastructure to do it. So until now, heavy capital intensive, but soon with the proof of stake, it can be a consumer grade laptop. And uh, yeah, it just changes the, the entire economy because back in the day, you need to have a, a, like a real estate to, you know, buildings for all this mining equipment, as well as a cheap, cheap power. We were just talking that miners seek the cheapest power to keep the maximum profit. And now, uh, because there is no longer heavy power requirement, it can trigger more decentralization to the network, which is good because more decentralized means more resilient to any government intervention. 
Yeah, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Because if you, again, coming back to the example from just earlier, if you have, let's say, 51% who want to cheat, if they all 51% all live in, I know, California, or all live in Kazakhstan, <laughs> and they all are related to each other, and they all go drinking every night, then yes, there is a chance there might be some um, fraudulent activities. But like you said, if it's completely decentralized, I don't know if 2% sit in Germany, 2% in Kazakhstan, 2% in China, and you just have little 2% hops everywhere, people who don't know each other, then it's such a distributed and such a resilient system. It's just impossible to compare it with a centralized system like, I don't know, the Deutsche Bank or something that is completely centralized or like a stock exchange or like, um, was it Binance.com, which is more like a centralized exchange, right? It's just a decentralized exchange, a decentralized system is so much more redundant. It's just, it's, it's almost impossible for me to explain how, how much safe and how much more stable that is, right? Okay, yeah, a couple of comments. Uh, and uh, again, we'll provide the links in the show notes. Uh, in May 20, last year, 2021, China banned Bitcoin mining. And it has been on and on and on in the cryptocurrency news about the China shutting exchanges, China banning this, China doing that. But this time they did it for real. They actually kicked out all the Bitcoin mining from the China. And again, changing media narrative. Previously, every time China was banning something, it was like a panic on the markets. But this time, it was welcomed as the great news. Because previously, there, there was a risk to Bitcoin mining that it is centralized in China. And China is not, it's not a democracy, it's not freedom of speech, it's not rule of law, it's pretty much authoritarian regime. And uh, the government could easily track all these mining facilities simply by uh, watching the energy use. It's, you know, maybe you can hide, a, you know, a few, a few laptops, but you cannot hide a giant facility. So when China banned Bitcoin for the 12th time. This time, uh, it was a massive migration, mostly to Texas. And Texas is the big winner of this uh, banning cryptocurrency in, in China. And so now, right now, the risk of collusion is much more minimized. Do you know why they moved to Texas? I'm just curious. I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is that Texas is historically the land of the free. They, uh, you know, they wear they, they wear uh, cowboy, cowboy hats and they have big cars and they have guns. But probably it was the cheap electricity. Cheap electricity is, yeah. is the main factor, and also Makes the sense. welcoming uh, government. Hey, the government says, hey, uh, you can do it. You, you will pay 0% tax for the next 10 years. Here you have this facility. Here you have this uh, power purchasing programs. You are more than welcome to do business with us. It's like the country openings, you know, citizenship by investment. Please, we are welcoming your money. We are welcoming your jobs. We are welcoming your economic input. And by the way, when there was the uh, like a winter with 
uh, low temperatures and a massive pressure to the Texas energy grid, the governments ask these Bitcoin miners, hey guys, we have this energy use spike. Can you please shut down your facility? And of course, uh, everyone did it because these are rational, reasonable people who want to maintain a good relationship with the community. Yeah, I think it's kind of, we talked about economics in our last episode. Um, they go where it's the cheapest incentive, where the, the costs are the cheapest. And like I said, um, Texas is quite, quite a big country. They have lots of solar panels. They have a lot of space. So it's easy and cheap to hire a big warehouse. And yes, electricity is fairly cheap down there, so it just makes lots of economic sense. Very good. Um, I want to continue a little bit with the discussion, unless there's something you want to add to that. I want to understand a little bit more your original your opening statement, which was um, you believe that crypto technology and yeah, crypto technologies will be as big as the internet was in the 90s, or as big as an Im impact and implications. Can you explain a little bit more why you think that's the case? Okay, I really enjoy the uh, the broad term, the umbrella term, uh, exponential technologies. Exponential uh, means that they are just keep increasing in the exponential pace. You probably have heard of Moore, Moore's law that every 18 months, the, the number of transistors is increasing and uh, when you look at the various technologies such as artificial intelligence but ai has been around you know for a long time virtual reality was uh, around for you know long time uh, blockchain is one of these technologies that is developing so quickly the amount of investment the amount of human resources the amount of smart people who are working on blockchain technology is just enormous. It is a technology that is growing just rapidly. Uh, there is like a like a chart, and again, we will link for everything in the show notes. How many years for technology to get fifty million users? And you can say a radio, the telephone, the TV, the refrigerator, the the internet. So uh, when you look at this adoption curve of of blockchain technology. It is growing faster than internet. And when you look at the evolution of the internet itself, there was the web 1.0, which was like, say, geo cities when there was only writing. Then there was a web 2, say, social media, reading and writing. So everyone was a publisher. And now this movement is called web 3 because you have a read, write, but you can also own uh, what you create. So that is a big difference that is changing the incentive, changing the economy, uh, changing the ownership. So just like internet touches every single element of our lives, blockchain will also touch every single area of our lives. Um, so Mark's a quick question. Um, so yes, I, I do understand where you're coming from, but I think I want to understand a little bit for regular people. What are the actual use cases of crypto? I get that a lot of people are trading and probably some <laughs> some shady people, like you said in the beginning, using crypto to hide their money. I, I get all of that. But what's the actual business case? I'm a little bit lost and I, I was wondering if you can explain that to me and to the audience. What can we actually do with crypto besides 
buying drugs on the internet. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> that is a very funny example. Uh, loads of people uh, got into crypto because it was the only way to uh, use online marketplaces. And there is a guy, Ross Ulbricht, so who was running a website, and the U.S. government uh, decided to put him life in prison for running a website, which is very unfair. And right now, the only way to save him is to a presidential uh, parole. So there is a massive action at Free Ross. This was like a quick tangent. The cryptocurrencies um, have many use cases. The, the example that I uh, strongly resonate with is the trust. What is, what is truth? Like, how do we say do land registry? Who owns which property? Currently in the UK, we have some official government body, yeah, land registry. So this is the government who operates this department, land registry. I go to the land registry, I, I file a fee, I change some data. So now, do we really need to rely on the government? What if there was a, a contract on the blockchain? And of course, in order for this to happen, we need to improve the security, usability, uh, some fraud prevention, some uh, like uh, if I lose my crypto wallet, I need to find a way to recover. So all these usability fixes, this is in the making. There are various uh, pilots. This is all work in progress. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that soon in, in certain places you can, rather than relying on the government to uh, you know, keep the record of who owns what, we can use uh, blockchain for this. Another example that comes to my mind is, is voting. Currently in, in the parliament, there's still some guys raising hands and pressing buttons. And, and I'm thinking that the, the blockchain voting systems combined with the unique identity, uh, it is a perfect use case. And of course, this is massive massive area of the improvement. There are multiple protocols that are solving the unique identity on the blockchain. And the list of potential... Can I, can I jump in with voting real quick? Um, so can you explain, and I'm just really playing devil's advocate here, and I'm just challenging you as much as I can. <laughs> I don't want to make your life too easy And you, <laughs> since I introduced you as the expert. So how can you ensure when you use um, blockchain technologies for voting, how can you ensure the two things which are most important? A, it's anonymous. So if you want to <laughs> wait for a right-wing party, you can do so and nobody should ever find out who you voted for. And secondly, how it can be non-hackable, non-changeable, non-infringeable. So obviously there's always a risk and, and a worry that, I don't know, in Florida, there's some kind of voting machines and they're developed by a company and the company CEO happens to be the brother of the governor from Florida. You know what I mean? That's not very secure and safe. So a sort of trust issue. How can um, crypto technologies um, address those two-ish things? Trust in the voting and um, anonymity of the voter. 
A very good question. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is a technical term called zero-knowledge proofs. Uh, it, it means, in the simple terms, that I can prove something that, that I own, that I voted, that I am a, a human, but by proving it, I'm not disclosing any, any information. It is, I would call it a crypto magic. It's, you can tell that if there's thousands of PhD researchers working in academia who are developing this technology for, for decades, there are some very interesting innovation. And this term, zero-knowledge proofs, can actually solve, solve the problem of anonymity, that I can prove something and you can verify that I'm telling the truth, but I'm not disclosing any, any confidential information. So, but that is a little bit more technical. It's not easy to explain in just a few minutes. Yeah, but I think I, I get the point that like we have a couple of thousand PhD working on it. And they're probably all smarter than you and me together. <laughs> and if they develop a system that is, I don't know, proof, proof we just need to trust them, right? Because they take smart cookies, they know what they're doing. There is this phrase in the, in the crypto space, don't trust, uh, verify. And I think that there will be a challenge to uh, facilitate adoption of the blockchain technology. I am on the side of user experience, adoption. I'm not that deep in the low level code. Uh, you know, sometimes when I look all this, you know, assembly, like C code, I, yeah. I, I have some background in IT and coding, but I'm really fascinated on this intersection when all these technologies uh, are, are combined together. I mentioned the term exponential technologies when multiple technologies are coming together. The term for that is convergence of exponentials because, hey, what makes flying car possible? This is the innovation in materials. This is the innovation in sensors, innovation in uh, battery life. Yeah, so sorry, so can, I, can I interrupt you just to explain for the audience what we mean? And I'll, I'll give one historic example, and I was wondering if you can come up with one as well. But I think the really good example was Facebook. Facebook and Instagram really took off with mobile apps. So it's the conversion of the mobile technology. So yes, you can use your phone. It's easy. You can pull it out. You can take a quick picture. You can upload it on Facebook or Instagram. And then you have social media. I mean, Facebook has been around since, I don't know, I used it in university in Albany in 2004, I think, whenever that was. I don't remember right now. A long time ago, <laughs> uh, 2006, no, 2004. So there has been Facebook around, but it really hit the exponential growth when it was converging with, with mobile technology, with GPS or so, isn't it? And Mike, Mars, and you have another example maybe to explain to the audience what we mean of conversion of technologies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that the iPhone was made possible by the, this convergence of different technologies that the batteries became uh, strong enough, the, the screens became uh, you know, good enough quality, and the various other products such as Airbnb or Uber, they, they were just 
perfect timing for the 3G network. So there was enough bandwidth and the battery life and mobile. It was all in the perfect timing. You spoke about Moore's law earlier, right? If you would take a transistor and a chip from 1980, 1999, then it would be five times as large as the iPhone itself. But in, I don't know, 2010, 2012, the chips were just so small and so powerful and needed so little energy consumption that they were just about the right size to fit into a tiny iPhone. It was just the conversion of chip manufacturing, battery, touchscreen, all of these technologies coming together. And then, yeah, Steve Jobs, smart cookie, he harnessed them, he converted, <laughs> he made, put them together in one and sold it for a very expensive product. Uh, totally. And I think that this type of technology adoption happened many times in the human history. It's just that I personally remember events from my own life. One of the examples that I don't remember was the adoption of cars versus horses. That the cars initially were a little bit clunky and there was a guy walking with the red flag in front of a car. But then there was the innovation in so many different areas. The rubber that makes the tires, the, the engines, the, the roads, the petrol filling station, and this, and this, and this, and that. So the adoption of car was also the perfect timing of multiple technologies coming together. Yeah, same here. I don't have that much experience. <laughs> but I think what you said earlier is absolutely true and applies here that um, the, the adoption just happens much, much quicker. So yeah. Let's say for radio, it took, I don't know, 50 years for half the people on earth to use it, for the car, horses to car, it took maybe 60 years. Then when you go a little bit closer, TV was maybe 30 years, <laughs> and <laughs> then mobile phones was 20 years, and crypto technologies are 10 years, so adoption goes quicker and quicker each time. And that's how our world, when we say our world moves faster every, every year, yes, because adoption is faster. Technology rollout is faster. Everything is just faster these days. And yeah, so what's going to come with crypto? What, what other conversions do you see coming with, with yeah. crypto technologies? We are building on top of the existing technologies. This adoption, adoption curve is faster because right now everyone has the internet and the transfer of knowledge between researchers and innovators and entrepreneurs is, is fast. And I think that something which is uh, uh, important is to mention the store of value properties of crypto technology, that the government has the infinite printing machine. There is this, uh, you know, printer goes brrr, uh, the multiple central banks in the US, in, in Europe, in, in Poland, everyone started issuing the large amount of, of paper money, of fiat money. They are just adding just zeros through to the financial system. And I'm just encouraging everyone to get some education about how much uh, money was added into the circulation and what is a good store of value in the times of the very high inflation? Of course, I cannot tell you what to do. However, it is your responsibility to educate yourself what are 
What is the monetary policy of the United States that currently US dollar is the global reserve currency? It was established in 1944 in Bretton Woods. Yeah. Then in 1971, there was a Nixon shock when United States suspended uh, exchange between gold and dollars. And now uh, in the current uh, economy, in the current world, uh, I just encourage you to do more research how a cryptocurrency can be a store of value. And it's only a store of value because people believe it's valuable, right? It's, it's, basically, it's based on trust. It's based on, I guess, market mechanism. So we spoke a little bit about econo economics. Can you explain a little bit how the market mechanism works behind the store um, of value? Yeah, that's, a, that's also a very common concern. That's also a thing that many people ask, like, what makes Bitcoin valuable? It is not backed by anything. Well, it is actually backed by, by the consensus. It is backed by our agreement. Uh, what makes dollar valuable? It is the network of military bases all around the world that we have a trust in the United States of the America, in their military, in their nuclear power, that yes, United States of America exists and uh, we... In God we trust, the dollar is valuable, but this is just a pure belief. So if I, if I was to relate what is backing Bitcoin, it is the, the network, it is all the people who have invested energy, who invested their time, energy, effort, building this entire infrastructure, building software, building the mining facility, building the brand, building this uh, social awareness. Can I interrupt you? Can you maybe put some numbers behind it? Are we talking about a few hundred people or a few thousand? Are we talking about a few million or billions of dollars? Just to get, if you just have a bit of a, I guess, a reference value yeah. for people who get an expectation. Because I think I have a feeling that the audience or people sometimes underestimate the complexity, the, the, how massive crypto already is. And I completely underestimated it before I started. I looked into it and I was like, wait, we're talking about billions here, not millions. It's like, yeah, these are billions. It's a big, it's big businesses. Like Goldman Sachs has invested in a Deutsche Bank, a lot of big, um, massive Morgan Stanley, a lot of big companies, Tesla, obviously everybody knows that. It's not just a couple of guys in a garage, right? It's actually a sizable network with sizable investments. And that then creates a trust. Can you give a few? Your numbers, hmm. Mars, from the top of your head. Yeah, sure. So if you go to one of these websites, CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko, you will see the total cryptocurrency market cap. And during the peak at all-time high, it was around 2.5 trillion, which is trillion with T. And when it comes to number of, of nodes on the network, I would say it's around 10,000. However, it is 10,000 is a big enough to ensure that it will continue to exist. So what does it mean, 10,000 nodes? Node is a full, full node is a, is a computer that keeps the complete ledger of all the transactions. So running the full node has the 
has the advantage that you are your own bank. You can independently independently verify all the existing transaction. So if you have a full node, you are basically part of the network. You are actually run the entire ledger and you can verify all the transactions. Yeah. So the, the more nodes, uh, the better. But so maybe uh, let me just explain that to the audience. I'll explain it in an example and you tell me if I'm right or wrong. So imagine you have a iPhone and you have all your photos on your iPhone. And if your iPhone breaks, the photos are gone. And then you upload your photos on the iCloud. So you're not getting them on your iPhone, but if you lose your iPhone, you can always download them from, you can always, always download them from the iCloud. So you get two nodes in your system, right, Mars? Uh, yes. Uh, however, you need to trust Apple. Like you are pretty much a consumer. So you get two copies. What we're talking about in crypto, you have 10,000 copies of the same data of the same ledger distributed on 10,000 laptops or machines or servers or computers or whatever. 10,000 nodes, just to simplify the discussion, means 10,000 computers. So imagine there's a virus and a few computers go down and this and that. There can always can happen that your local computer, your MacBook at home or your PC will crash or will be impacted by a virus and you lose all your data. With, ten, with the information being spread over 10,000 different nodes, 10,000 different servers, it is impossible that they will all go down at the same time. So it's so much more safe and proof and it's called redundant than any central system which has maybe one backup or so or one one or two nodes it's just very simplistic but does it make sense in high level mars uh, absolutely i i get it this is this is a good good example that uh, the the ledger the blockchain the all the data is distributed across more than 10000 nodes and this is what makes this network val valuable this is like if you were to create a community of so many passionate, dedicated people who are investing their time, energy, effort, money. So I would say that this network effect makes Bitcoin valuable. Just like US dollar is backed by the US military. There is no so there is no magic dust that backs US dollar. No, this gold standard is, is long gone. This is all based on trust. And so what makes blockchain uh, novel and unique is that now we are not trusting the Uncle Sam, the president of the United States. We are effectively trusting the code. And this is a big civili civilizational shift. We are not putting trust into some institutions that can be corrupt, influenced by Russian hackers that could be you know, just corrupt to their core. Right now we are trusting the code and code is transparent, open source. Anyone can verify the code. That's why there is this phrase, don't trust, verify. And I believe that this is a big civilizational shift that we are no longer required to trust the government, trust some authority. Right now we can trust the math and this is a really big shift. Nice. I like it. I like it. And I, I want to take this discussion a little bit further. Um, so we were speaking about trust, about networks, and you just said it beautifully. You spoke about a, um, a shift of a societal shift. And the one thing I would like to talk about for the next couple of minutes are DAO. So I'll just briefly introduce the topic. These are distributed autonomous organizations. So these are structures that work based on crypto technologies. 
I've um, yeah, I'm quite interested in it. I've been reading loads about it. I am. Um, watched a video from or like an education video from Stanford is bio e60 with Ron Boger and Ori Shimoni. I actually contacted them both by email because I thought it's really interesting. They spoke about those and um yeah Michael can you maybe just from your point of view explain the audience what a DAO is actually what is DAO? It is decentralized autonomous organization. And I think that the simplest way to explain this concept is uh, people form different forms of organization. You can create a limited liability company, you can form a charity, political party, a church, a football club. You can do any form of organization. And again, in the old system, you register this organization to the government, then you go to the bank, you, you have these directors and different assistants, different people with different functions. But now, when you apply this philosophy of code is the law, that we are not responding to the government, but we are responding to the incorruptible rules that are stated by the code, now you can just change the forms of structure change the like a new legal form of the incorporation so it was quite uh, it was in the media when one of the states in the united states wyoming introduced uh, the dao law so now the dao can open the bank account can own the property various you know other dedicated law specific to dao and i think that it is not a silver bullet to all the problems of the modern world. Personally, I believe that uh, we still need to rely on strong leaders who are championing their visions. I was participating in a, in a few DAO projects and my personal experience was they are uh, slow to move. That if every single small decision has to be voted, and because people are from all over the place, there's like three days uh, voting time. So I would say that we can learn. Can you maybe explain a bit what this whole, what, what are we talking about with voting? So you, I guess you own some coins, right? And when you, if you own coins, you can do some voting. Can you just explain that to the audience? How you submit a proposal, like the basics maybe of a DAO? <laughs> yeah, I would say this is very fast evolving space. So if you are listening to it in the first quarter of 2022, uh, this knowledge is likely to be outdated pretty quickly. Just like the just like the blockchain exponential technology is evolving super quick, the whole entire DAO infrastructure is evolving, you know, super fast. There are more and more tools how to do the voting, how to do the coin ownership you know coin voting is not that great because someone who owns majority can pretty much outvote everyone else so just using the the coin as the one metric is not ideal uh, but we, we can combine it with unique identity with different systems such as uh, quadratic voting and uh, my point was that if you need to run every single decision through through a vote, it is not very efficient. 
that's why there are various ways to make it to make it faster, to make it more competitive and responsive to the uh, business environment. Uh, for, for instance, uh, there could be like a like a um, sub committee, like a dedicated team within the, within the DAO. So there could be like a one major vote once every year. Like we give the mandate for this team to act uh, within their ability to, to do our marketing. So then within the bigger DAO structure, this marketing team has authority to, you know, move fast <laughs> and break things. Yeah, I get it. I, I, that I've, so I've researched it before a little bit as well myself. I am interested in, in charities. I think it's quite fascinating how there are different charities that use um, a DAO structure. And um, so maybe just from my point of view, a DAO is basically like a computer program slash organizations or like a group of people get together and they say, okay, like let's say you have a, you have a charity or you have an organization, you usually have some, some bylaws. You have a company, you have bylaws. I don't know if the director dies, then this is going to happen. And I think you always need some rules in an organization, in a charity, in a non-for-profit, in a limited company to, to govern the way that the company works. Because if you have three founders and they all have a third or so, if you have two founders or four founders, let's say you have four founders, they'll each have 25%, then it's very likely there will be a stalemate. Like two, vo two fo founders vote A in a company and two vote B. So you need some rules. What happens if there's a 50-50? Do we just going to wait or not do anything? So those rules are written in the bylaws and for a DAO, those rules are written, yeah, like a computer program and they're codified in, in the blockchain. So DAO is nothing more than just another form of organization, but rather than having bylaws, which are written in a piece of paper, those bylaws are written in code and yeah, codified, it, it said. But as, as Mars explained, that leads to very slow moving. So let's say you want to... I don't know, do some decision. You have to submit a proposal. Let's say there are 100 members on the DAO. You need to wait for those 100 members to read the proposal. Then you say, okay, let's vote in it next week. Oh no, next week is Easter. Let's vote in two weeks. And yada, yada, yada. You wait two, three weeks until a decision is made. And let's say if, if you're a charity who invests or who gives money to, let's say, Ukraine, <laughs> and Ukraine gets attacked by Russia, you don't have two or three weeks to make a decision where to put your money. You need to have, um, you need to, um, react ASAP. That's when you need a strong executive. Mars mentioned a marketing team. In my in my example, it's basically the charity founder or the charity executive who decides where the um, donations go or who, who manages the donations and the money. He needs to have a new mandate very quickly, and it's not possible in if if there's a three three delay. So what you do is you have a, a quarterly, a monthly, a, a annual um, vote where you um, give the mandate to somebody and say, okay, you're the chief executive, you're the chief donation officer, you're the chief marketing officer for the next three months. And you're going to do, to the best of your knowledge, you execute the will and the intention and the objective of the DAO, which is codified. And after three months, If you, um, if you don't think you do a good job, it's unlikely you get voted again and we'll vote somebody else. Um, we'll vote in somebody else to have that mandate to execute um, the wishes of the DAO of the next, uh, for the next three months. Right, Mars? Does it make sense? 
I think this is makes sense. Uh, this is the best of both worlds. And just like I said, my personal experience was uh, it was slow to move, the vote for everything taking forever. That's why I'm noticing that this, this sort of giving authority uh, to people who are executing makes sense to me. And the, the frameworks, the infrastructure, the, the, the tooling is getting so much better, just like crypto wallets are getting so much better. Uh, adoption is uh, getting higher. And, and some of the, these DAOs, they are already owning more than billion dollars. One good example is Uniswap. Uniswap is the, it's called the centralized exchange. Uh, contrary to products like Binance or Coinbase, uh, this is piece of code on the blockchain allowing you to just swap tokens in a trustless way. And they have the Uniswap token treasury, which is governed by the Uniswap uh, token holders. And their total you know, assets under management is just more than a billion dollars. It is just a large amount. And wow. yeah, it's just a sizable amount of money. There are various proposals. Uh, but again, it is a little bit slow to move. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I found this whole structure fascinating enough. Um, researched it, yeah, fairly, fairly intensively. So for example, there's one um, good example called the Big Green DAO. Um, so it only launched um, last year, but it's tied to a decade-old um, food justice charity, and that charity has revenue in excess of nine million US dollars. And um, Big Green's founder is Kimball Musk, the brother of Elon Musk. So he, um, what he is saying, he wants to use um, disruptive philanthropic hierarchies and new technologies such as cryptocurrencies to, um, yeah, to disrupt the charity world. And exactly what, what we talked about earlier, he is using a traditional food justice charity and combining it with a DAO and then creating a, a hybrid organization, a hybrid yeah, organization that is then able to um, adapt to the um, ways quickly, but also has some of the um, um, traditional <laughs> crypto and decentralized technologies such as smart contracts. Um, I don't think we spoke about smart contracts much, but smart contracts are basically just computer programs. We spoke about transparency, so it's very transparent. You know where the money is going. And it's decentralized. I think that's what Mars just spoke about. Rather than it being centralized, it's decentralized, such as Uniswap or Charity. It can be a decentralized organization. And DAO is basically just the the general umbrella term for anything decentralized. It can be a different type of organization mm, a smart contract is uh, i would say it's a technical term uh, if i was to describe it in simple terms this is just piece of code that runs autonomously on the blockchain without human intervention and uh, i would say that it can manage various things from from voting to property ownership to distribution of universal basic income, we can pretty much, it is us humans who attach meaning to what the code says. That's, 
at the end of the day, it is called a social consensus layer. That at some at some point, it is up to the humans to decide how to interpret the code. And yeah, I was just uh, Google that big green DAO and the brother of Elon Musk. I didn't know about this particular project, but it's, it's looking good. Yeah, there are millions of projects. And I think also for the listener, it's like once I started looking into this whole, I thought like this is a can, was it a can, open can, a can with no bottom, a can of worms. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just there's so many different organizations and platforms and technologies and, and, and currencies and protocols. It's just, it's just a humongous, humongous world. Um, but Mars, what I want to do for the last, let's say, 10 minutes or so, because we're coming close to an hour, um, what is the, can you maybe lay out a little bit your, your vision of the future? So what, what, what's coming in terms of practical, practical changes? Maybe we can break it down into two, three sections. I'm thinking of finance, insurance being one. There's definitely lots of use for crypto. We already spoke about voting, but what do you think actual uses and actual adoption-wise we can see in the next 10 years? with regards to crypto technologies. <laughs> it's funny that when you mentioned insurance in the part one of this series, we were talking about the climate change. So if, if we assume that the facts are real and the data doesn't lie, I think that the, all the insurance companies are just, will go out of business and who will provide the insurance for the insurance companies? Like, I, I know there is a couple, couple of projects that do insurance on the blockchain. Uh, in order to do this, uh, there is uh, data coming from the oracles. For, for instance, you want to get the insurance for the agricultural crops. And if the crops are failing, you can get the insurance against uh, drought, no water. There was no water, no rain, the, the crop failure. So important part of this bigger picture are so-called oracles that feed the real world data into the blockchain to just specify what was the, the weather in this part of the world on such and such date. So I would say that the, the insurance is, is definitely a, a perfect use case for the, for the blockchain. Uh, property ownership. Um, one second, one second. I'll, I want to speak about insurance. For me. I actually know insurance quite a bit because my ex-wife is an actuary and she has worked in insurance her whole life. And I, back in the days, I used to study with her the actual exams. I would like question her and help her a little bit. And I also worked myself for an insurance company for a couple of years, mostly in claims handling and claims processing, designing a new claim, claim system. So I would say in insurance, like actually like most companies, I mean, I work in IT for over 15 years. And so I've seen so many big organizations being so like just fat, so much middle management, so extremely inefficient. I just cannot describe the amount of, Time we're wasting coloring spreadsheets, copying things from the browser to Excel into PowerPoint back into the some other Excel spreadsheet. It's just there's such an incredible amount of waste. And from what I understand, um, with with crypto technology specifically with regards to insurance in this example, you can 
um, develop a very lean system based on um, smart contracts where you can, in, let's say it costs you, I don't know, when we talk about crop insurance, if you go to a traditional insurance company, they need to send somebody out, fly to your field, they look at your field, it's all very clumsy, they bring some kind of paper, then they need to give the paper to somebody else to put the paper in a computer, and then somebody needs to co copy it from this spreadsheet to another spreadsheet. If you automate all of that, rather than, I don't know, a farmer having to pay maybe 20,000 pounds or 20,000 US dollars or 20,000 euros a month, a year, let's say for crop insurance, if it's a small farm, they suddenly just have to pay five or 10,000 because the overhead is so much smaller and lower because all automated, it's all based on smart contracts, on automated, very transparent technologies, and it reduces the need for human interaction. Does it make sense, Mars, that example? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now just imagine that rather than some big, giant, inefficient corporation that sends attachments in Excel and Word documents back and forth, uh, you just have the online platform with the, with the network of these assessors, actuaries with the, say, for instance, in order to become part of this evaluation, you need to maybe pass some exam or maybe you just post a post a stake to ensure that you are a, a genuine genuine validator and oh I'm, I'm sorry i'm just a little bit uh, i didn't describe it in a, in a right way but i can see the future when it is no longer the corporations and inefficient processes but it is possible that the network of independent evaluators are looking at each claim, they are providing some estimates, and then the smart contracts is, uh, is just doing the math. I, I think that it is a very possible future. So, so I'll explain it again a little bit for the audience in, in layman terms. Um, so we, we live in the UK, Mars and I, and there's something called co-op. It's a... Um, yeah, organization owned by its members. So it's a, it's a cooperative and it's a bit of, yeah, people work together and they, they put in some money and they put in some time and then they work together on it. It's not owned, it's not listed on the stock exchange. And a, a DAO-like insurance can be something very similar. Let's say all farmers get together and they all build their own <laughs> insurance company using using technology and then um, the uh, the claims adjusters and the um, evaluators, as Mars just explained, they can just be individuals who are incentivized through through code and through getting some coins. So I'll give you another real life example. I think we spoke about real estate already. In real estate, I rent a flat, and at the end of the tenancy, a, a third party contractor will come in and will do the inventory. They did the inventory in the beginning and then you will do the inventory at the end. So it's a third party contractor that comes in and does an assessment. And the same way you can, in an insurance example here, use a third party evaluator. But rather than, like literally this guy came with a piece of paper. I mean, it's normal, right? It's a, it's a flat. Needs to take some pictures with a digital camera, very advanced. <laughs> he took some pictures, he had some paper and at the end he printed out or emailed me an attachment with some paper. But really, it, this concept already exists. It's not like it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just these processes, these evaluators, these organizations, these societal structures of a, an, an organization doing something, outsourcing small tasks to a third party, collaborating is already working. But 
if we can put that entire collaboration into the blockchain, it's going to be so much more efficient. It's going to be so much more transparent. It's not owned by one big company. It's not owned by one insurance company. It's not owned by one big Facebook. It's owned like a co-op by thousands of people. Distributed. It's transparent. It's efficient. And it can literally, and I think that's what Mars mentioned earlier in terms of implication, it can literally replace a humongous amount of organizations, the land registry, all insurance companies, Facebook, big companies that collect your data. Why can't the data just be distributedly owned? And I think that's really the, the power and the vision and the implications of where blockchain can drive us. Absolutely. I would like to add that not all the data should beyond the blockchain but again we have various other related storage technologies so for instance uh, i would like to own my medical history and it can be stored on the blockchain but not in the unencrypted plain text format but it of course i can use a proper security and confidentiality mechanisms Another example could be the, the Uber. Uber, which is owned by drivers and uh, by, by customers. Currently, uh, maybe it's not the best example because Uber has such a network effect and invested so much money into their AI optimization algorithm. So it would be very difficult to for a decentralized network that still is not that, uh, not that big to achieve this scale, but I, I am convinced that in the future there will be uber-scale decentralized companies that provide a common public good. Uh, social media, there, there are various projects, however, they, are, they haven't reached this uh, critical mass. And again, Facebook has a massive head start. They have uh, loads of people on their network. They have brilliant engineers working hard to ensure that I'm spent time on their website. So I would say it is not happening yet, but it will happen in the future. You know, this is, this is really interesting. Talking to you, I, I just had a thought, just like a vision, and I'm going to lead up to it. So just to summarize what you said is um, you got companies like, uh, let's say, Facebook, I would probably include um, Netflix there as well, like the Fang, Facebook, Netflix, Apple, they're very, very established. You got Airbnb, we mentioned earlier, really smart people, great brand. We have Uber, also very well established. They have a lot of intellectual um, property and uh, knowledge with regards to AI. They have their network, they have the brand name. Everybody knows Uber now. Oh, I'm drunk. Let me just get an Uber. Let me just Uber home. It's like, it's like a household brand. So it's going to be very, very hard to replace that with a um, crypto, um, with a decentralized organization. But what I do think is that organizations and industry which, which have not yet been disrupt disrupted, they have a huge potential for it. So yes, we've spoken about insurance. We spoke about voting. I'm personally very interested in charities. I think charities are still running the same way they used to many, many years ago. And there's lots of um, interest and lots of potential for disruption there. I'm thinking about, yeah, like the, the, the British Red Cross and all these big, massive organizations. What do they call that? What's that called, Mars? The thing where you wear a red hat, like a red nose, red nose day? Like, what's that again? 
<laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> it's some kind of charity where you wear a red nose and you get you you pay some money and do some funding. Those charities have just a humongous overhead. It's like I don't know the CEO of this biggest charity earns as much as any business executive. And yeah, I think there's some way, and there's not been any disruption in charities, and there's no Uber like in charities yet. There's no Facebook in charities. I think that's one. I'm really interested in in any other grassroots movements like Extinction Rebellion, um, Greenpeace, any type of movement. I don't even the, the Boy Scouts in Germany. Boy Scouts can an organization ever be ruled by a DAO? So okay. The premise is every part of our society will be eventually dis- be disrupted by technology. It, re- happen- it already happened in startups. It happened, like we said, in Airbnb. But the other areas, um, such as um, charities, foundations, nonprofits, I think those are ripe for disruptions. Government, we spoke about voting. I'm personally really interested in, in a political party. And I would love to see um, the first political party based on a hybrid DAO concept. Um, and what, for example, what I'm envisioning is um, what we said earlier, there will be a vote every, and I will do it every month, literally every month, you you vote the executive of the party, and then that executive has, has one month to work on you know, pushing the um, objectives and the codified values and goals of the um, political party forward. And after one month, there will be a vote. And then in the vote, people can say, yes, he's done a good job. We'll give him another month to continue with his vision. Or no, he sucks. We'll vote him out. And I think applying that concept to, to politics makes a lot of sense. Because right now, what I see in politics, you have a vote in pretty much all Western countries every either four or five years, I believe. So you can do three years shit as a politician, and then you just lie one year. <laughs> because nobody remembers after a long time what you did a couple of years before. So there's such a long there's such a long um, time span and there's such a disconnection as well because you can't actually vote a politician. So in the United States, you have to vote, like, what's it called? The, the voting guys, oh, I forgot what they call the constituents. Electoral and they, college. Sorry, the electoral college, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you vote the electoral college and then the electoral college votes the actual president. In Germany, you vote for the party and if I don't know, Angela Merkel is the leader of the CDU, you just, there's no choice here. We have to, even if you don't like her, if you vote for that party, you automatically vote for her as well. But then if you um, use a DAO, it's just so much more flexible. You can change. There's so much more. It's transparency. Like there's no transparency in government. Everybody receives some kind of payments. It's some kind of bullshit and corruption and kickbacks and all that crap going on. If you use some kind of transparent crypto technologies, I think there's a massive, massive disruption possible in those areas, Mars. Oh, uh, you've touched a couple of couple of themes about this uh, party movement organization. I think that the monthly vote, absolutely yes. And even within this monthly mandate, if someone does a terrible job, there could be some safeguarding mechanism. Like if you are if you are like a fraudulent and you want to do bad stuff, the, of course the, there are safeguards in place. And I think that what can enhance this entire adoption is that the current 
you know, what happened with the COVID, people went home. They were literally under the house arrest. So a lot of activities moved to the online digital internet. The, the buzzword term for this is metaverse. We just started farming our online avatars, you know, our social media presence became our personality. We started socializing on Zoom, Skype, Google Hangouts, etc. So I would say that when you when you move your sphere of activity into the digital realm, then say we are I am from Poland, you are from Germany, we live in London. So if we were to do business, we will send invoices via Gmail and pay via PayPal or Bitcoin. So if we were to establish like a new, our business between two of us, are we operating under the laws of the United Kingdom? And even in the UK, we have a choice of England and Wales, Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland. We have all these little... Uh, entities uh, such as uh, Guernsey, Jersey, Gibraltar, Isle of Man, uh, Seychelles, British Virgin Islands, Cayman, Bahamas. Like if we were to establish a new organization, my choice would be, yes, we will just create a DAO. We will distribute the ownership. We will agree on the how we, how often we do the vote. We will agree what is the mandate of the marketing team. We'll do what is the mandate of the sales team. We will split the responsibility. We will keep our safeguards in place. And I think that for the for the new startup company who is being created right now in, in Pakistan, in Nigeria, in the developing countries, would you trust your government uh, with your legal structure or would you trust the the code. And my bet is always code and math is pretty much incorruptible. Of course, some hacks may happen, but then we have this social consensus that, uh, you know, there was this very famous DAO hack back in 2016 and the DAO was drained out of, from the ether and the community was able to come together and reach a consensus and undo the hack. So I would say that the safeguarding measures are in place. And at the end of the day, we are all humans and we can coordinate in a much better way. Nice. Brilliant. Excellent. Very good. Um, do you want to maybe summarize a little bit the episode or in general crypto technologies? And if you have any other final words for the audience before we close our second part of our three-part interview. Wow, that was a very good, that was a very good uh, content-rich discussion. As we were here recording this podcast, I was making notes to, you know, to keep the reference and to provide you with some uh, background. Because look, I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm just a a one piece of information. You need to figure out things for yourself. And my intention was to share a bit of my knowledge, of my experience, of my own personal, uh, you know, what I've accomplished in this life. I made, you know, the opening statement that this is the biggest invention since the internet. And 
It is a very bold statement. You may you may not agree with me because you may say that reusable rockets are more important. Uh, yeah, they are. They are important. Uh, you may say that gene editing is also a big thing. Yes, uh, this is a subject of a debate. I am a big believer in the blockchain technology. I do not recommend uh, speculation because if you are trading buy sell buy sell. I am a human. I am driven by the emotion. I'm not a professional trader. I do not recommend you treat this as a speculation. I encourage you to see this as a technology that is evolving very rapidly. Uh, this technology is here to stay. And I encourage you to invest in education because whether you like it or not, internet is here to stay and the blockchain is here to stay. So playing an ignorant card that, uh, well, I don't know, it's too difficult, it's too complicated, blah, blah, blah. There is no benefit in being ignorant. Ignorance is not a bliss. And I encourage you to do your, do your own research. You do your own research. Yes, I second to that. I tried to invest a little bit. I tried to invest some money myself, which didn't work out very well. I've not done enough research, but I'm absolutely convinced that there's a huge implication of crypto technologies for this world. I think it will impact so many things we currently not even think about. And as Mar said, we will go, we're going to link um, in the show notes. So please do check them out. Please do follow Mars on um, Instagram and on Twitter. He has some really cool projects he's working on, which we're going to link at. And yeah, thank you very much for listening today. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.